honored to be preaching tonight, and the title of the message is, Is He Worthy? Is He Worthy? The Reality of Persecution. I'm going to be preaching a four-part series on persecution. Uh, someone told me tonight, I've never done, never heard that before. Well, neither have I. And uh, it was something that a few days ago was in my heart in the sense of the theme for tonight. I, I spoke to Pastor Lee, and I just said, this just seems like too much for one. And he gave me liberty, and, and I'll pick this up after tonight, later in July, into the first part of August. I'm very excited about it. And then today, I actually had no clue, but I got an email, uh, even after I had made this decision and spoken to Pastor Lee, and today is actually the day of the Christian martyr. The day of the Christian martyr. That was such an encouragement. I didn't look at that and plan it. God showed me to do this, and he gave that great encouragement. So I'm very, very excited. Some persecution is something that for me was actually formed into me at a very, at a very pivotal, the very beginning of my Christian walk. Not that I was thrown into prison or roughed around or I was actually persecuted for my faith per se, but the reality of it. Th- books like the Fox's Book of Martyrs were just so attractive to me and I couldn't say why. It, it would be strange, you know, those stories can be so convicting and so encouraging, but I was just attracted. I was drawn to them. The book God Smuggler by Brother Andrew from the early 1950s until the 1970s and 80s who brought Bibles behind the Iron Curtain, the Bamboo Curtain. He went to China. God used him mightily. I remember reading that book. I remember reading it together with my mom and my brother uh, sitting, reading it out loud together when we all lived together. It was such a wonderful time. I was introduced to the voice of the martyrs and open doors. And so the reality of persecution became very real. And I was recently introduced to a book called The Insanity of God by, by Nick Ripkin. And it was just in the same vein, fantastic, fantastic book, very encouraging. But the disciple of Jesus, the thing about persecution is we don't seek persecution. Persecution seeks disciples of Jesus. We don't have some sick martyr mentality where we're hoping to lose our job, lose the opportunity for our children to go to a good college, to lose family members or to go to prison, to be deprived of things, to be beaten and have our noses broken, or to even just be mistreated in the society. That would be weird. That would be strange. It would be off. But these things are a reality because the kingdom of God is a reality. And because there is an enemy kingdom that battles the kingdom of God. And because Jesus is real and he is a real king, persecution is also real. Jesus prepared his disciples. He told them many, many times about persecution. But he didn't just speak the words. But he modeled before them what it looked like to walk in persecution. And he showed them the end of what persecution would lead to. And he was victorious in it with the resurrection. And he showed every person that would possibly be martyred. Every Christian that would ever undergo persecution, the grave is not the end. I've already defeated it. For the believer in Jesus, the follower in Jesus, we know our end. And it's not the end of a billy club by a guard. The end is Jesus ruling and reigning with him forever. Persecution is a part of our pedigree. In a time where people want DNA tests to know that they're 100% white bread and they're from Western Europe, or maybe I'll have some part of Angolan or something interesting like this, or we get onto Ancestry.com, I'm here to tell you that this is in our family history. Martyrs, 
people who were persecuted. It's like a chain link from generation to generation that comes to us. This is something that, that we should be proud of. How proud are we if you're searching and you want to be a daughter of the American Revolution and you find that you have a patriot in your family? Or you find that you had someone who came over on the Mayflower? That's something that we, we feel honor about, right? That's in our, we, even though we don't know them, we feel blessed by them. I pray to God that we could feel blessed and that I could feel blessed that in my family history, there are people who have stood in front of judges, in front of lions, in front of churches, in front of councils, and have stood for the name of Jesus and did not accept deliverance, but instead died for the worthy name or endured great persecution and suffering. The series scripture I'd like to give to you is Luke six twenty two to 23. This is something that I would personally like to memorize. Uh, Luke six twenty two to 23. We'll revisit this each time. Tonight, we're going to talk about the reality of persecution, and we'll talk about different parts of persecution as we go along, and we'll culminate with the reward of persecution on the fourth week. Luke six twenty two to 23 says, Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you. And revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. For behold, your reward is great in heaven. For so their fathers did to the prophets. I want to bring out a few observations from that scripture. It says, when people hate you. It says, when they exclude you. When they revile you, when they spurn your name as evil, they scorn, they make fun of your name as evil. Why? On account of the name of Jesus. On account of the Son of Man. And I want to remind you this in Daniel. It says that Son of Man comes riding on the clouds and every knee bows to him. Hallelujah. If I have to suffer scorn for that name, Lord, help me to remember that picture of a conquering, wonderful king. Or in Revelation, he comes on the white horse with a robe on his name, on his thigh, and a sword from his mouth. And he is the one who is the mighty conqueror in general on that day. And it also says this persecution, this isn't the first time it's happened. It's not like, oh no, people are really treating my children bad on earth. What am I going to do? No, every person who has ever sought to live godly has been persecuted. Think about Cain and Abel. Cain hated Abel because Cain's works were unrighteous. But Abel honored God. And Cain lashed out and persecuted and murdered His own brother. All had to do with that relationship with God. It has always happened to those who spoke on behalf of God in prior generations. And if you look in Revelation, the first chapter, it says that we are now his priests. And priests declare the glories of their God and they give him worship. So Jesus is saying that this is not an option for followers or disciples in Jesus, but this is an absolute An absolute, blessed are you when, 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 I'm warning you ahead of time, this is what it is to follow me. That is why Jesus said, count the cost, take up your cross, choose today whom you will serve. Another place in scripture God told the people. This is glorious, but there is persecution as well. 
we're catching a glimpse of the hate right now uh, in the current atmosphere with the rolling back of Roe versus Wade. If you stand up, your head will be shot off. In the comment section, in a world where people will cancel you, put you to death socially, many parts of the world, even in America, you can lose your job. You'll be called a bigot. Your name is drugged through the mud. Block, delete, cancel. That is what happens to you. This is what it means, really? Is this what it really means in our modern countries to be tolerant? Is that what they say? You only have to look over into Europe and certain Nordic countries or in Germany if you simply disagree with LGBTQ. Just disagree, not hurt, not dislike, not hate. Just, I don't agree. If you don't agree with those in power, they will exercise their power against you. That's what you call fertile ground for an inquisition. That's why in the country of Spain, they've never faced revival. Because even all the way back then, when Protestant Reformation was coming forward, it came in and they snuffed it out through murder, through execution. And that inquisition will last hundreds of years. And so today we we have what's called a polite persecution in a lot of the developed nations. It's called very polite. They'll bring you to court. They'll shut down your business. They'll do these things. It's just a small taste. Just a small taste. So do we want to live godly or do we want to live safe? That's the question. Do I want the excitement of living for Jesus or do I want to live a safe life? We honor soldiers who went to the front lines and they battled. We remember them, right? On Memorial Day, praise God. I love my country. I love America. I love the stars and stripes. When I go overseas and I visit my wife's country, it's a wonderful country. It's beautiful, but it's not mine. But when I come home, and uh, I live in a different neighborhood now, and they were putting out American flags on, in front of every single home. And I was like, wow, what are y'all doing? This is amazing. I'm like riding through and seeing American flags everywhere. This is great. And so for those that would shed their blood for that homeland, we honor and we salute and we stand and we sing. And we feel great emotion. But whenever it comes to Christian persecution, it's just not that wise, right? I mean, one has to use wisdom in this 21st century on how to navigate our Christianity. We don't go searching for it. We don't go seeking to poke someone in the eye or, or, or to, to do something in a liberal workplace where I used to work. Everything that you can think of that's being pushed in the society was pushed there first. It was just pushed. Come join this club. Come join that club. So I understand what it is, but I never sought to push against them. Doing that is just foolishness, right? It's like poking a mama bear and expecting not to get mauled. Or when you do get mauled, saying, oh, I'm a victim. But that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about when I hear the voice of Jesus, and he says something to do in the scriptures, or by his spirit, he's telling me to do it. I obey. And my love for Jesus that causes me to obey him brings a repercussion. That is what I'm speaking about. Are we willing to do that? Or do we just simply want to live safe lives? I would personally love to live a safe life. I would love to be able to live out this American dream the best I could, send my kids to a good university, if that's what God's will is for them, to have them educated, good jobs, provide for their families, 401k, and all that. We have been so blessed to live in that. We have been so blessed to live in that. But the Bible doesn't say that in case you live in America, oh, these portions of scriptures don't apply. 
And we are entering into a world where that is becoming more and more obvious. And you only need to look north to Canada or to Western Europe to see what America will look like in one to ten years. Go see how they treated pastors in Canada who broke COVID restrictions. Go see them, arrest them in daylight and bring a helicopter and do these things. Simply because they said no to those in power. Go see it. That is what is coming to our land at some point. America is not the chosen nation. We are not the chosen people. In fact, if you look back in American history, you will find that there have been repeated times where Christians were grossly persecuted, maligned, spoken evil of. You will find that there were even people who were in love with Jesus that would go to Christian seminaries and they would be beat up in the hallway. Jonathan Goforth, a country bumpkin who loved Jesus, he goes there. But the people had it in their minds of what it was. And there are liberal seminaries. But he went there and he was maligned and rejected by the people. It says in 2 Timothy 3, 10 to 15. This is what Paul was saying to his young protege on how to live the Christian life. He said, you, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience. My love, my steadfastness. Doesn't that sound wonderful? All these wonderful traits that Paul had, steadfastness, love, patience, faith, conduct, really good stuff. We want all that. My persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured. Yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, some... Just those who live in other countries that are third world and aren't like us and have the American Constitution who desire to live godly in Christ will be persecuted. Is that what it says? What does it say? All. All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will, might be, will be persecuted. While evil people and and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Now, It doesn't say what type of persecution. It could simply be rejection. It could be that. It could be soft persecution. You didn't get the job promotion. You're kind of pushed out from the people at work or in school, the group. It doesn't say what kind. It just says that it will happen. So I don't have to be necessarily afraid that someone's going to put a a black bag over my head in the middle of the night and take me from my family. But it does say that persecution will happen. But it also doesn't mean that that wouldn't happen to me. I just have to say, Jesus, I want to follow you. I don't know what's going to come, but you say that there's such a thing as called grace in your presence. And as much as I have to rely on your grace not to fall into sin, I'd have to rely on your grace if such a time as that ever arose in my life. You've made provision for me. He says, as for you, in verse 14, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. So what happened in Antioch? Okay, this is exciting. It's good. It it really is good. Paul had gone with Barnabas. He had gone on a missionary journey, and he had gone to uh, Antioch, Iconium. He He had gone to Lystra. There were these areas. He had gone. He had preached, and Timothy saw it. Timothy had not yet joined Paul. So we have to ask ourselves, what type of impression did Paul leave being persecuted in these three cities on Timothy? We're about to find out. 
At Antioch, he was reviled and driven from the region. But the word of God spread throughout the entire region first. God was moving. The Holy Spirit was moving and people were being saved and spread throughout the whole region. And then Satan rose people up, raised people up to come and persecute him. So what did he do? He used the wisdom of God. He heard God's voice and he left and he went to another place. Iaconium. Many believed. Signs and wonders were done. Praise Jesus. Hallelujah. Signs and wonders were done. Then they planned to stone Paul. He heard about it. Praise God. He used the wisdom of God. God gave him wisdom, spoke to him. So he got out of there. He fled to other cities. Then he went to Lystra. He healed a man who never walked. Praise Jesus. You would think that the people would just leave him alone. I mean, he just rose a guy up who had never walked his entire life. He saw he had faith. He said, get up in the name of Jesus. And he's walking. My goodness, you'd think that his enemies would be like, this is legit. This is real. Let's leave this guy alone. But what happened? The two cities he came from, Antioch and Iconium, came to Lystra, stirred up the people, and they stoned him and left him for dead outside the city. God raised him up from being stoned, perhaps to death, perhaps not, to the point nearly of death. Guess what he did? After all that, he went back to all of those cities where he and his friends were persecuted. He went back. He went back. He wasn't just a fool. He heard God's voice. And even though all of those terrible things happened to him, he went back. And what did he do? He strengthened the souls of the disciples. He encouraged them to continue in the faith. And he preached this message, saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Many tribulations. Like Leah said tonight, we all suffer. We all go through things, whether saved or lost. But there is the added dimension, the the added dynamic to a believer in Jesus that the enemy is now not just our slave master, he's now our enemy. All those devils that just used to provoke you to commit these sins and you can never be free from are now your enemies. They hate you because they once had you, but they've lost you. They lost you. Hallelujah. He appointed elders for them, prayed, fasted, committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. He was worth it. Jesus was worth it. He was worth it. Paul was not insane in in, in that maybe in the world's mind he was a fool for Christ. But he was not so insane. It was worth it to leave everything. Who had he found in Jesus was beyond what he ever found in Moses. He was it was worth it to go and be stoned near to death, raised up and go back. And we don't get a record of him fighting. We get a record of him going and just obeying Jesus. Now, might it have been hard? You know, God, man, they just, that hurt, God. That really hurt. I'm a human. I know I'm not crazy, but that really hurt. When they stoned people back in the day, it wasn't like the fake stones that we get in Louisiana that aren't native here. If you dig deep enough, you're going to stone someone. You take like a clump of dirt and like there's going to be a shell in it from the Mississippi River, right? No, there they have... Big, hard stones. The stuff that really hurts and puts you to death. But somehow, he still went. Not only that, but this young man who had his life ahead of him, Timothy, he was the son of a Gentile soldier. And those Gentile soldiers would have retired after about 20 years of service. They would have gone to one of the colonies, and they would have gotten a bit of land, perhaps. They would have been okay. They would have done okay economically. But his mother was a Jewish woman. His grandmother believed on Jesus. His mother believed on Jesus. And he had been taught the scriptures from a very young age. And then he believed in Jesus. So what did this young person do with his rest of his life ahead of him? 
No way I'm going to live like that. Forget y'all Christians. Y'all get stoned to death. No. The next time a young disciple of Jesus, Timothy, saw Paul's persecution, it didn't turn him away. When Paul came back, Timothy joined him. Why would you join someone like this? Someone who works with his hands building tents. He doesn't have a 401k. Why would you do it? Because Jesus is worth it. Maybe to you, he's not. Maybe to you, he really isn't. Maybe someone in here isn't saved and this is foolishness. There's a lake of fire for you. Jesus is worth it. My end is glory and it is power and might in him. That's your end. Being blunt. My end is this. Sure, I may endure a little persecution, but you'll endure torment forever. And justly so for your sins against the holy God. And I might be persecuted now, but this isn't my end. This isn't the end for me. There's life ahead. And this young man, Timothy, knew that Jesus is worth it. Because he is wonderful. And he is powerful. And he is mighty. There was a group of people that struggled just like we do. They had it good in their city, in their country. They struggled with the wisdom of men. You know, we, we're, we're real wise here. We know, son, if you want to get by in life, you got to do this, work this many hours, show the boss you care, and do that, kind of keep your head low. Just keep doing this, that, that, and that. And this is how you get ahead in life. We have that worldly wisdom, and these people did too. And they thought that they could live a type of Christianity they thought they, they thought they were living a type of Christianity that was blessed above the Apostle Paul. They thought, Paul is a fool. We are wise. We have figured out a way to be really wealthy, to do really good, feel smart and good about ourselves, and forget the guy who came and preached the gospel to us. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, the people that had so many issues, Paul said to them, in verse 8, already you have all you want. Being very sarcastic. Already you have become rich. Without us, you have become kings. And would that you did reign so that we might share the rule with you. For I think that God has exhibited us apostles as last of all, like men sentenced to death. Because we have become a spectacle to the world. Now, I'm no Greek scholar, but I did look up some of these words uh, in commentary. What's interesting is this... Exhibiting the apostles is last of all, like men sentenced to death, because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels and to men. In Corinth, there was a Colosseum that held 18,000 people. And in the Colosseum, they would have games and people would fight lions and such. But at the very end, at the very, very end, they would bring in a terrible, dirty criminal. And he would be absolutely a spectacle to the people. Destroyed. That's what he said this is like. God has set us apostles, the people that go and preach his name, as last, as spectacles, as scumbags, paraded in front of everyone and mocked as sport, as a joke. We're a joke to the world and everyone seeing us, not a joke to the side where I can hide, presented forth for men and for angels, for every kind of being that there is that has a personality and a mind of some sort. We are presented as this. Verse 10 says, We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. In America, we love to be strong. We love to be independent, and we love to fight back, and they did there in that Greek culture too. But Paul knew he was weak. 
he boasted in his weakness because he knew in his weakness Christ's strength would live forward. It would go forward and the kingdom would be advanced. You are held in honor, but we in disrepute to the present hour, we hunger and thirst. We are poorly dressed, buffeted, homeless. We labor, working with our own hands. The people there despised in that culture, people who did manual labor. So Paul was really kind of an embarrassment to the upper class people within the congregation in Corinth. One commentator said, He's the kind of person you would not want to invite around to your wealthy compatriots and citizens who aren't believers to come and see the man that you are following because he looked so bad and he worked with his hands. We're buffeted homeless. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We have become and are still like the scum of the world. The refuse of all things. Or like the NLT says, we are like the world's garbage, like everybody's trash. That's what we are. I do not write these these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I have become your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then... Be imitators of me. It wasn't just for the apostles. Paul had to fight what we have to fight today. These people who present themselves as these great prophets and apostles, perhaps on TV, and they say, I'm able to do this and live this way. And people were saying that in Corinth. If you just live and have faith this way, you'll never be persecuted, abandoned. You won't have want. But Paul was saying, that's not true. In fact, imitate me as I follow Jesus. It was the same thing he told Timothy. And we are being told the same thing. Imitate him because he was imitating Jesus, right? That's what our Lord did. He shed his blood for us on the cross. He is worth it. So in the USA, many have thought, perhaps not here, not yet, but if Jesus tarries, I really believe we're going to see it in some sort. We are in some small ways right now. What might happen if the tide changes further? If another narrative is pushed, what would occur if those who really hate Christians, not just a little hostile, not just think we're weird, but what would happen if people who really hated Christians came into real power? Do we really not think that they would begin to turn the switch against us? They would. And this is the reality of our brothers and sisters in the world. And I'm going to play, I'm going to encourage you for a minute. I'm going to play a movie in just a moment, about 10 minutes. And I do want to say, if you have children, there are a few scenes in here that you may not want them to see. It, 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 it's a reenactment of some scenes of persecution. So if you don't want your children to see that, that's an opportunity to just say, hey, look, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to decide to just kind of walk out in that moment. It's good. It's exciting. And you see God's glory in it. But I, I want to be respectful of you in that. So I want this to feed us. I want this to provoke us. I want this to challenge us. I want this to say, You know, maybe I haven't seen the scriptures quite like this before. And I need God's help. Me too. Because I can preach about it here, but I really need this to take root in my life. I need God's grace. Not just to overcome temptation, but if this should happen. I don't need to worry. I don't need to fret. I don't need to be anxious. 
I need God to show me how worthy he is. I need God to magnify him. I need him to be magnified. Oh, Lord, be highly exalted. I've made you this small, but break my box open. Show me how powerful and who you are. Because clearly, if this many people over this many thousands of years are worth, uh, say that you're worth it and are willing to give this much, surely that many people can't be insane. Surely they can't be wrong. There's got to be something more to you than perhaps I've even seen worth even more than my life in reality, not just in theory. I think that it's going to bring us more into the life-giving and joyful grace of God because we would be so dependent upon it. And you know, in Matthew 28, when he says to go and make disciples, do you know what he says at the end of that? I'm with you until the end of the age. There is the promise of the presence of Jesus to people who go out and who are obeying his will. There is the promise of his presence. God does not abandon his children. He said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. In Romans 8, he said, when you believed on Christ, the Holy Spirit came into your heart. And now you cry out, Abba, Father. That is true here, just as true as it is in a North Korean Korean prison camp. Otherwise, they would have left Christ a long time ago. A long time ago. But he is worth it. So let's go ahead and play that video. It's about 10 minutes long. And I'll come and say something briefly after that's over. We arrived uh, after a five-hour trip at this very small house. This old man meets us at the door. And, and if I had to guess his age, I'd say 100. And as I started to interview him, I found out he was 63 years of age. So he said, Nick, come in. Come in and, and, and sit here. Uh, sit at this chair. This is the spot where I was standing teaching the Bible when I was arrested and sent to prison for 17 years. You know, I've been in Africa for, for, for two decades, and I don't want to sit in that chair, you know. I, I, I want to sit somewhere else. And he makes me sit right here, and, and he, he begins to tell the story of being an engineer and his wife a school teacher, and um, how his kids were in the government school, and uh, he was in the government factory, and, and how over a period of time, uh, pastors were compromised and churches were closed. And so one day in fear and trembling, this brother, whom I'm now listening to his story, uh, uh, said to his wife, uh, now, now, now don't get angry at me. Uh, don't, uh, don't think, don't, don't think I'm stupid. Uh, just, uh, just be patient with me. But our boys are growing up with no uh, religious training. I'm not a pastor. Uh, this is not a church, but what would you think if my if I would just once or twice a week get the boys together and read the Bible to them? Now, his wife had been praying for years that he would step up and be a spiritual leader. It's like they say in Africa, uh, the man is the head, but the woman is the neck, and she can make that head go anywhere she wants to. And so he starts reading the Bible to his kids, and he does a terrible job. But as time goes on, they begin to learn the stories and tell the stories to each other and interact with the stories. And, and the neighbors got to watching this. And they came to this man of God and said, uh, can, can we, can we uh, come and study the Bible? And he said, whoa, no, no, no. I, I'm not a pastor. I've had no training. Uh, this is not a church building. 
He says, we're just singing and praying and uh, talking about the word. And he said, well, that's all we want to do. So when the little house group grew to be 75 people, the KGB just could not allow that. So they came the next worship service and arrested the man of God from the spot where I'm now sitting doing the interview. And they took him a thousand miles north and put him in a prison of 1,500 hardened criminals and he's the only believer. story I just I just can't help but blurt out uh, how did you stand it how how did you survive it what what did you do and he said for all of those 17 years in prison he said every morning when the sun was coming up I would stand beside my bed at attention I would raise my arms in praise and I would face the east and I would sing my heart song to Jesus can you picture what the rest of the prisoners would do when the man of God began doing that They're throwing old food. They're throwing human waste. And there stands your brother with his hands up, uh, praising Jesus, singing his art song. And he said to me, Nick, whenever I could find a, a scrap piece of paper, charcoal piece of pencil, I would rush back uh, to my cage, to my cell, and I would write, every Bible verse or any Bible story that I could remember. I would take that scriptural offering and I would stick it as high as I could on one of those concrete pillars. But when the guards would see it and when they would read the content, they would tear it to shreds and beat me uh, for writing out those Bible verses. And this was very common in many places in the former Soviet Union. The day came when they decided to break him. And they brought a, a criminal woman that was much the size and shape of his wife and dressed this criminal lady in his wife's clothes and they drag her by the cell with her face turned away and take her down to a, a torture facility. And he listens for three days and three nights as they abuse her, torture her, and kill her. Please, please, please. 
Я все сделаю, я побежу, мага, пожалуйста, не бивайте. Я все сделаю, что вам надо, пожалуйста, не надо, Господи, And then they carry her body out, wrapped in a blanket, with him thinking, this is his wife. And they look at him and say, you're next. And he says to God, what I have said to God in Somalia, this is too much. And he sat on the side of the bed, gave up, called to his guards and said to them, you win. All they wanted him to sign was a document that said he was not a follower of Jesus and he was being paid by Western governments to overthrow the USSR. He signs that, he's free to go. He said, go write your document. I'll sign anything you want. And he sat on the side of the bed in just despair of soul. The next morning, the guards came with a confession, and his back is straight, his shoulders are square, there's fire in his eyes, and he says, I'm signing nothing. And they said, what happened to you? He said, the Holy Spirit of God allowed me to hear the voices of my wife, my kids, and my brother as they prayed for me. I not only know that my wife is physically okay, but I know that she's spiritually still walking with the Lord and he looked at his guards and he said get out of my jail cell he said Nick two weeks later out on the exercise yard was a whole piece of paper And laying next to it was a pencil, and I knew the Holy Spirit had placed it there for me. I ran back to my cell and wrote every Bible verse, every spiritual biblical song, every Bible story I could remember, as tiny as I could. He said, I, I took it and I reached as high as I could, as high as I could on that wet concrete pillar to give God the greatest scriptural offering that I could give him. He said, it didn't take long till the guards saw that. And when they looked on the both sides of that paper and read what I'd done, they ripped it in shreds and they began to beat our brother without mercy. And they said, look out that window. You see those posts out there? In 10 minutes, you will be tied to that post. In 15 minutes, you will be dead. And they grabbed him by the front of the shirt and began to drag him out of his jail cell. As they got to the door, the gate of the prison, I can still picture it, 1,500 hardened criminals stood beside their bed stood at attention and 3,000 hands, arms were raised in praise to God as they faced the east and they sang that heart song to God that they heard the man of God sing all those years.
can you imagine what that choir to God sounded like? And the guards let go of our brother as if they were with sheer terror. And they looked at him and they said, Who are you? And he said, I am the son of the living God. And his name is Jesus the Christ. I've got a doctrine. What can I teach this man about the kingdom of God? And I hear these stories and I'm so incredulous. I, 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 I'm not professional. I, I, I sort of fuss at these men. Why haven't you written this stuff down? Why, why haven't you made films out of this? This, this, this is Hollywood quality stuff. And, and I chastised them so much. A very kind pastor just took me by the arm and took me to the east window of the house. And he said, I understand you have three sons. I said, yes. He said, how often did you get up in the morning and take your sons to the eastern window of your house and say, look, boys, the sun's coming up in the east. I said, I, I, I've never done that. He said, why? I said, people would think I'm crazy because the sun always comes up in the east. He says, that's why we don't talk about persecution. It's like the sun coming up in the east. It happened to our great-grandparents. It happened to our uh, uh, grandparents. It happened to our parents. It happens to us. It'll happen to our children. It's like the sun coming up. Persecution for us is just normal. Excuse me, normal, normal. Let's put that back in the Bible where it's safe. Let's don't let that out. Where does that fit? Lord, you're answering my questions, but what am I supposed to do with this? I'd rather us hang than deny our faith in Jesus. Father, emaciated bag of bones and I'm so proud of you, Father. And he was eight years of age. He said, Nick, do you know what it's like to grow up for 10 years with your daddy in prison? You see, I went looking for tools from God. And what I found was the resurrected Christ himself. You can stop it right there. I went looking for tools to understand how to make it through persecution, but I met the resurrected Christ himself. I read those stories, but to see them in video, I just cried and I cried and I cried and I cried. How beautiful it is that man who felt like a waste perhaps for 17 years and 1,500 men honoring him, I have to believe the Spirit of God moved in that moment, all raised their hands and sang the exact same song that he sang every morning in unison to the glory of Jesus Christ. Carly, you can come up and we're going to play. But how powerful, how wonderful, how exciting to see those testimonies. It could be very fearful perhaps. 
But I want to pray for three things tonight. I want to pray for three things. And just trust that the Lord's going to do whatever he wants with this message in our hearts. I pray that we'll see the reality of persecution from Scripture and also from history and this beautiful presentation of this in video form. I want us to pray for those who are enduring that reviling that God said would occur for followers of Jesus. I want us to pray for the grace of God in our own lives, for nothing spectacular, just to hear his voice and to obey him every day. That's it. I want to hear you and I want to obey you no matter what may happen. And I want to see your worthiness. I want to see your worthiness like this man saw it. I want you to break all my traditions and I want to see the resurrected Christ. Amen.